This is chapter 15 of Acts, and the date for this Thursday is January 6th, 2022, which is also on the calendar um, Epiphany, celebrating Epiphany, uh, which is also known as um, Three Kings Day. Uh, Some believe that it marks the day when the wise men arrived um, to acknowledge Jesus as the king and um, some call it, uh, refer to it like as the 12th day of Christmas because it is the 12th day from Christmas. So it's it's got a, um, a significance in our calendar, in our history, Christian history um, of being a, an important day when Jesus, baby Jesus, was acknowledged as the Messiah. And back in the Gospel of Luke, um, chapter 2, Simeon also um, was someone who acknowledged Jesus as the, the righteous one, the Savior. In verse 25 of chapter 2, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. I I take the time to read that um, because... The conflict that we're going to run into in chapter 15 of Acts has to do with the Gentiles and the fact that many, many Gentiles were coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Jews, the believing Jews, were having a very difficult time accepting the fact that they were um, just being saved and they didn't have to become Jews first. And so this is the tension, this is the conflict that we're looking at today. But there's been a lot of opposition, a lot of conflict since we started studying Acts. Starting in chapter 4, there was a lot of conflict and pushback from the spread of the gospel um, from unbelieving Jews. Uh, and then in chapter 14, the last time we got together, there was some some temptation where um, Paul and Barnabas were were teaching and the the crowd wanted to acknowledge them as gods and worship them and they had to deal with that and not fall into them temptation of being you know treated as gods and in this chapter we have more tension and and pushback um, from believing um, uh, Jews and at the end of chapter 15 we're going to run into another conflict between Paul and Barnabas too so we've been commanded to go into the world with the good news and spread it, but it's not always (laughs) easy to do that. Um, There's a lot of resistance, a lot of pushback. Um, So let's go go ahead and take a look at um, chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So these Judaizers were very righteous 
and, and they, they, they live their lives um, just uh, serving uh, the, the law under the burden of the law. Um, and they honestly believe that you got saved by keeping the law of Moses. And so with all these Gentiles becoming believers, um, they had no regard for the law. They weren't even familiar with what the law of Moses was. So these, um, the tension was that these Jewish believers wanted these new believers, these Gentiles believers, to be brought under the law, under the law, and to obey the law of Moses. One thing being circumcised. But Paul taught that you can only be right with God on the basis of what Jesus had done. The sufficiency of Christ needs nothing more. And in Ephesians 2, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, so they tried to persuade them, they tried to present the truth to these people. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria and as they traveled into Jerusalem, they were telling everyone, all the churches that they met, and visiting the people again. Um, they were describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and the exciting news that, that, that the gospel was reaching out to Gentiles, other people besides Jews. And this brought great joy to all the brothers. Everyone who heard it were just delighted in this. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. So everyone pretty much was accepting the fact that they were so excited about the gospel being spread, like they were commanded to have it do, to go all, to all the nations. And um, people were believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the problem was becoming that they were not falling under the requirements of the Jewish law of Moses. So, as Paul and Barnabas and the others traveled into Jerusalem, um, they were met with great encouragement. And um, it was almost like a, a um, validation and a, an encouragement for them to be... Um, just have the confidence and the excitement of, yes, these, these Gentile believers are a part of the church, strengthening them to have this debate that was going to happen when they get to Jer the Jerusalem council. But in verse 5, some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, and these are believers, but they were Pharisees, just like Paul was, and they said it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So that's the issue at hand here. Yes, they're believers, you know, whatever, but they also must do this. This was added to it. Um, they had always believed that Israel was God's chosen people, and if you wanted to be a part of God's chosen people, you had to become uh, Jewish and abide by all the customs. But Paul was saying that this is something new. Christ came to make all things new. You put, can't put um, new wine into old wineskin. So Paul, being a Pharisee himself, was the perfect one to be able to be a part of this debate. So the advancement of the gospel 
is being met from with more opposition, very strong opposition. I mean, if this issue is not resolved, it could split the church. It could cause a lot of tension. It could even become the dissolve of the gospel, the truth, because that's what it's all about. It is by faith alone in the work of Jesus Christ. So moving on to verse 6, they've arrived, and uh, the discussion starts. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So they talked about it. And after there had been much debate, much debate, how much debate there was, we do not know. How long they debated, we do not know. But there was much debate. Um, They just didn't ignore the issue. They didn't let each man decide for their own what to do. They, They needed to talk about it. And the issue at hand, again, was this. Are Christians made right with God by faith alone or by a combination of faith and obedience to the law of Moses? Is the work of Jesus by itself enough to save the one who trusts in Jesus? Or must we add our work to Jesus's work in order to be made right with God? So there was much debate about this um, and it needed to be discussed. The people on both sides of the argument had to have a chance to present their thinking and their beliefs. And then they had to listen to the other side. And then they had to have an opportunity to respond to that side. It wasn't just a ramrod, we're going to do it this way and nothing else. It was a, a process of revealing the truth. And we're going to see how that unfolds now in the rest of this the next couple chap verses here. The first one to stand up here is Peter in verse last part of verse 7. And Peter stood up and said to them, "Brothers, you know that in the early days God made its choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe." And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, Peter has is saying that the issue's already been settled. And he was counting the time with Cornelius, where, where, where God had instructed Peter um, to to talk, meet with Cornelius. And he had that dream before he went of the food coming down and God telling him, do not make unclean what I have declared clean. And then when Peter gets there and meets with Cornelius and his household and he sees that they received the same spirit of God, the Holy Spirit entered them, he, he was basically it was revealed to him that God made no distinction between them and the Jews who believed at Pentecost. So why should the church make a distinction between the two? Um, God cleansed their heart, not by keeping the law, but by their faith. So in verse 10, now, therefore, why, Peter goes on to say, are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? He's asking them, why are you making the Gentiles now keep this law and, 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 and let them struggle with, because you know it can't be kept. The law is there to, to let us know that we can't keep the law, that we need a Savior. 
Um, and if God's not requiring them to do this, if he's giving them the Holy Spirit, so why should we put this burden on them? And in verse 11, Peter closes his speech by saying this, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And in, when he says it like that, he's flipping it around. He's not saying we believe by the, by the, um, we are saved by our belief and therefore the Gentiles are. He, he's slipping around and saying the Gentiles are, believe, are saved by their belief and therefore we are, we are too also. So making the reference point to the Gentiles that they're saved by their belief, then we can be too. We are too. We don't have to observe by every little dot and tittle of the law of Moses. That doesn't save us. So Peter was the first one to speak, and he says something very profound by that, that the Gentiles are saved by grace, and so are the Jews, saved by grace, not by keeping the law. And there was silence that fell on everyone there. Verse 11, and all the assembly fell silent, and then they listened to Barnabas and Paul, they were deep in thought with what was going on. They were in a, at a teachable moment, kind of scratching their head and thinking, wow, well, gee, if God is accepting these Gentiles without them being circumcised and without commanding them to keep all the, the feasts and to do all the things that, you know, we have felt was required, then maybe we too, as Jews, um, do not have to do all that to be saved also. Um, they had, so they listened to Paul and Barnabas as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. They go on to share all the things that God was doing, the miraculous things that God was doing in the lives of these Gentile believers. Um, they had been back in Acts 13, as you recall, they were in Antioch. Was it Antioch that they were in? teaching and preaching on the synagogue and they were asked to stay um, another yes in Antioch they were asked to stay for another Sabbath um, so they stayed the whole week and they came back and they were preaching more and in chapter 13 verse 47 it says um for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, Paul is saying, I have, and he quotes Isaiah, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That is the same quote from Isaiah that Simeon used in Luke 2 when he was presented with baby Jesus at the temple. That a light for the nations, a light for the Gentiles. It's epiphany. It's um, it's it's it's, it's just God's word just ties everything in together. Barnabas and Paul were reminding them of all God's work among the Gentiles and and the fabulous thing that he he was doing, and he was making no distinction because they had received the Holy Spirit, just like the Jews did at Pentecost. So we had Peter speak. And then we had Paul and Barnabas speak. And now we have James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, enter in into the um, d 
discussion. In verse 13, after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles. So Simeon, who is Peter, um, Peter had just talked about the um, incidents with Cornelius, and James is referring back to that, but he doesn't call him Peter. He refers to him as Simeon. Simeon is his Jewish name. Um, Peter was his Greek name. Why would James do that? Why wouldn't he just call him Peter? Probably because he was more or less addressing the Jewish um, believers at this discussion more than he was the Gentile believers who would more or less refer to him as Peter by referring to him as Simeon, his Jewish name, and acknowledging um, directly to the Jewish believers that were there because they were the ones, that was the group that needed to be persuaded to accept the Gentiles in. And he says... In verse 15, and with this, the words of the prophets agree. So James goes back to Amos, the prophet, and says it is written. And this, after this, this is a quote then from Amos. God is speaking. After this, I, God, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. So even Amos is referring to the Gentiles being called in by the the name of Christ. Um, James pulls out scripture, the, the authority of God's word to settle the dispute Um, If Gentiles who are called by God's name remain Gentiles, then um, they don't need to become Jews. God has already spoken on this matter hundreds of years prior. So the outcome of this discussion is is in verse 19 here, um, where James voices the agreement that they have come all together Um, in harmony, and they're going to write a letter to the Gentile believers, send it back with Paul and Barnabas, um, basically saying, you know what, (laughs) we're not going to trouble you. We want to encourage you. You are not bound under the law of Moses. You do not have to be circumcised. Um, And they're going to send a letter back, also along with two other people from their church. So Paul and Barnabas go back and they also send Judas and Silas who are leading men among the brothers with the letter. In verse 22, they're sending them back with the letter. And um, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings, they write. And the letter goes on to say, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling their minds, 
Although we gave them no instruction, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And they laid out three things that they need to abstain from. Not the whole law that the Pharisees, the way the Pharisees interpreted the law to be. Um, so this was great encouragement, this letter that they sent back. And it was met with great joy. They rejoiced at hearing it. Of course they did because they didn't, they didn't know any of the law of Moses. They would have to learn all that stuff. And, and it was pointless to, to, to um, obey the law the way that the Pharisees wanted them to do it. Um, so great, great joy that they were made right by the grace of God. And then in 32... It says that um, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they have spent some time with them, they sent them off in peace by the brothers. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So the gospel continues on. The advancement of the gospel continues. Paul has a passion to preach the word. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So it was not hindered. Another attempt by Satan to stop the flow of the gospel um, was, was foiled. It will continue on. All right, let's wind it up here with a little problem that kind of erupts here with Paul and Barnabas. Um, not all disagreements are concluded in harmony. Some you have to agree to disagree on. Um, so we see here in verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul had a heart for these people. He, he had, he had, um, planted these churches, but he also was an encouraging and he was nurturing. He wanted them to grow in their faith. Paul loved these people as spiritual children. We see that in the letters that he has written. Um, when we look at Philippians 1 8, Paul refers to the church in Philippi. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Um, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and with all discernment. So he has a great love for these people. First Thessalonians, when he's writing to the church in Thessalonica, um, 2.17, Paul writes, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul had a great desire to see these people face to face. And then another one is in 1 Corinthians four, fifteen. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 
For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus though through the gospel. So I urge you, therefore, to imitate me. So he considered these people in a dearly beloved way, and he, he was invested in them and wanted to see them grow. So he desired to go back and to, to visit them. Now also remember, as we look at this conflict with Paul and Barnabas, um, Paul wants to go back and revisit. In 37, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take them with one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. So we have Paul and Barnabas, Paul who wants to go back and visit, and Barnabas is like, yeah, okay, but let's take Mark with us. But remember, when Paul and Barnabas first started out on this this initial missionary journey, it was Paul and Barnabas who were anointed by the Spirit of God to go. They were called. They were ordained to go. And then Mark, they, they took Mark with them as a help. He tagged along as a help. So in looking at this um, this argument now where um, Paul is not wanting to take Mark because of his past um, abandoning them and not having what it took or whatever, Paul, Paul was the apostle. Barnabas was not an apostle. Barnabas should have probably submitted to the leadership of Paul. And then we have different personalities that were involved also. We have Paul, who's very bullheaded or very strong and powerful. Remember before he got converted, how he just, you know, he just was convicted. And now he's just convicted to serve Christ. Um, He loved people, but he was also very duty bound. And then we have Barnabas, who's referred to as the encourager. He's more of a, oh, not people worry, maybe more so, but more want and maybe every make everyone happy or please it just kind of bring everybody along. I'm not sure. Um, and also we have to remember that John Mark was his was Barnabas's cousin. We see that in Colossians 4:10. So here he had kin here also. So they could not decide on what to do, so they decided to. Um, split ways. They separated after a sharp disagreement. So was one right and the other wrong? We don't know. But we do know that there was air on both sides because they had a sharp disagreement. Um, and they should have, could have, maybe been a little bit softer and agree to disagree and, and make the split a little bit more corrigible than than leaving in such a sharp disagreement. Um sharp contention. Anyways, the result of that was that we now have two different missionary groups going out also. Um, another thing, too, to throw in with the Mark uh, situation and um, between the tension between Paul and Barnabas, we find from Galatians 2.13 that Barnabas, um, when there was another situation that happened, Um, Barnabas sided with the Judaizers in Antioch when Peter came to visit there. It says, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
So Paul maybe was a little bit um, in his headstrongness um, uh, determined to stick to the truth and see it cl- more clearly, not as easily led astray um, like Barnabas happened to be at this point. But for whatever reason, um, uh, Barnabas takes Mark and goes back to um, to Cyprus. Paul, we find out, chooses Silas. Now, he's been watching Silas. Silas is a leading man among the people and a prophet, and he, he helped them with the letter and, and going back and bringing the letter of good news to the Gentiles. And um, so he has watched this man, and he picks Silas to go with him. In verse 40, and they departed, having been commended by the brothers. So they got commended by the the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Um, So Paul was able to do what he desired to do, and he did it with Silas. So this was another attempt by Satan to hinder the spread of the gospel. They could have damaged the the, um, the the fellowship, their witness, the testimony, it could have gotten really, really ugly. Um, but as God always does, good things can come out of this. We have two missionary teams. We have double the impact now to advance the gospel as Barnabas and Mark went back to Asia Minor. Um, tradition tells us that Barnabas stayed in Cyprus and he witnessed there until, until he died an old man. And Mark, we're going to find out later, that Mark was eventually called by Paul to go to Rome. And Paul and Silas, they go to Greece and Galatia, and they head out on their second missionary journey. So the sovereignty of God, his will, will be done on earth, despite human frailties and our our bullheadedness and everything. We know from 828 of Romans, we know that For those who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And what is God's purpose? The purpose is for us to be witnesses to the gospel, that the the gospel will be spread to the ends of the earth. All Christians are called according to this purpose. Um, We're all called to be witnesses, to spread the gospel, to advance the gospel. So... We have to take a deep breath and look back and say, am I a part of this purpose? Am I living out this purpose that God has called me to do when he called me to be a child of his? Um, just let's ask God, God, help us to, to be able to take this call seriously. Help us not to miss an opportunity to advance your word the truth, the good news, the only news that matters, that Jesus Christ is Lord and saves. Amen.